Welcome to Viewpoints with Brenda. I'm your host, Brenda Ntambirwechi, and on this podcast, you'll hear plenty of conversations with African professionals, changemakers, innovators, influencers, and entrepreneurs from all sectors. Social media has become one of the biggest platforms through which young Africans are expressing their creativity and passion. It is therefore no surprise that a lot of young Africans are becoming what has been coined as influencers in their own right through providing valuable content to influence the lifestyle of thousands of followers that they have on these social media platforms. Some of our young African influencers have taken on content creation as a full-time job, while others have maintained nine-to-five jobs and have to strike a balance between creating content to express their passion and their very demanding jobs. Today, I'm joined by somebody who falls in the latter category. Miranda Kabatsi Muzora is a lawyer, a skincare enthusiast, and an influencer with thousands of followers on her Instagram page at Mimike underscore beauty. She is based in Uganda and practices with one of the premier law firms, Kampala Associated Advocates. At Kampala Associated Advocates, Miranda is an associate in the Corporate and Finance Advisory Department as well as the Energy Department. I have to confess that I am quite excited about this conversation because I've been an avid follower of Miranda's for a while now, and I really enjoy the information that she shares on her platform. Miranda will be filling us in on her full-time job as a lawyer, her skincare hobby, and how she balances between work and content creation. I've been looking forward to this interview the whole week, so I'm pretty excited. I guess outside of that very nice introduction from Brenda, yes, I'm a lawyer by training, but I like to think your choice in profession sometimes leans into other things. There's a lot that I I use from my legal background, even in my skincare. So it's going to be an interesting discussion. And yeah, I'm excited. So Miranda, a lot of people probably don't know that you're a lawyer in a very busy law firm and with a very busy schedule. Please tell us a bit more about what you do at Kampala Associated Advocates. Uh, okay, so I'm an associate with Kampala Associated Advocates. It's one of the top firms in Uganda. I work in the corporate advisory department. So basically, I would like to say in law, there's two sides of the law. There's the people who prevent problems and there's the people who solve problems. I'm in the people that prevent problems. So it's a, a lot of research, a lot of drafting, a lot of understanding the law so that you can help your clients be compliant ahead of anything. I work primarily in corporate finance and corporate governance. So a lot of mergers and acquisitions, general corporate governance, which means I work on boards, I'm company secretary for a couple of companies. And then in the energy side, it's a lot of the contractual obligations and understanding the different roles in Uganda right now. um, There's a lot of foreign investment coming in. So basically protecting the foreign investors as well as protecting the local partners making sure you understand your deliverables and making sure you're compliant with every regulatory body ahead of contractual signings. So it's a lot of paperwork. I'd say my my side of the law is a lot of paperwork. How did you make the decision to practice law in Uganda as opposed to South Africa where you went to school or Rwanda where you qualified? I could have practiced in South Africa, but I've always known I wanted to come back. I wanted to build and grow in my home country. I was never interested in living in a foreign country or working there. And it was a bit hard because you knew you were coming to an uphill battle. And at the time, I was getting very lucrative 
job offers in South Africa. But I knew above money, I wanted to be where my family is and I wanted to build on my own land. So I made the decision, even though it would be an uphill battle, to grow from home. I'd like to digress a little since I know you're in the energy sector and I've been asking this question to all the people I know who are currently in oil and gas in Uganda. Where do you see opportunity for Ugandan businesses and young Ugandan entrepreneurs given the recent activity in the sector? Now with oil and gas, there's a lot of realism that has to come into it. We're not anywhere near technically or skilled enough to take on the industry by ourselves. I know there was a rush when they found the oil in the early 2000s. There was a rush to get oil qualifications. But the qualifications aren't as strong when you don't have practical experience. And being Ugandans, getting practical experience is very hard. So what I tell people to focus on is not focus on the oil itself, but on the benefits of the oil being drilled here. So if you are someone who supplies you're in a better position to make money than someone who tries to forward march into the oil industry themselves. With the oil, there's going to be a need for housing, a need for catering, a need for equipment, a need for safety gear, a need for joint ventures with Ugandan companies. The best thing you can do to be competitive is find a thing you do, make yourself ISO, um, ISO certified, make sure you have all the international certifications that are available in your field. Make sure you're registered with PAU on the National Supplier Database and look for opportunities to partner with the oil companies, but in a supply chain kind of way. For example, I know a lot of the Chinese companies, for example, Sinoc, which is one of the main companies, as well as Sinopec that will be doing the pipeline. They prefer to rent and not own. So if, for example, you're someone and you're financially in a place to, let's say, rent to own some trucks, you can get very good revenue renting those trucks or renting SUVs to these companies that can give you revenue. So you're not working in the oil and gas, but you're benefiting from it. There will be a lot of construction, roads, um, the pipeline itself. If you decide to be the person who brings in the most safe shoes or goggles or helmets or to plug yourself in as a supplier rather than a partner, there's a lot more value for you there. The law has tried to protect Ugandans a lot, to put in a lot of local content specifications. Some actual fields are ring-fenced for only Ugandans. So look at the fields that have been ring-fenced for oil and see where you can plug yourself in, or if you're lucky enough to be connected to someone in any of the oil companies, find a way to see what is the thing they miss, the thing they're missing, something they need as a supply, and you get that in yourself, and then you can rent it or sell it to them. And get yourself on their supplier list, because these are projects that are looking, you're looking at seven, seven years. So a good contract will feed you for a very long time. And then with those resources, you can branch out and do other things. And you're benefiting from the oil, just not specifically the oil itself. Because realistically, they're going to bring in the people who they've worked with for years in, um, in different countries, the people they trust, the people who have references. So yeah, that would be my advice. Circling back to social media, Miranda, how do you balance between your busy work schedule and your passion for skincare. 
And I'm only asking this because the content on your Instagram is quality. I personally learn a lot from it. You obviously spend a lot of time coming up with this great content for those of us who follow you. So how do you balance this with work? I don't really struggle to balance it because at this point in time, my work comes first. Social media is hard. If you know an influencer, give them a hug because it's, it's, it's really hard. It's a lot of work. And at this point in time, it's not really an industry that is lucrative. It takes a lot on your time and you know your time is your money. So how I've been managing it is before I do a video, I do a lot of research. I create my talking points and things like that. So I have a couple of videos planned, but I generally will post when I'm not under too much pressure at work or if I have available time, because at this point it's a passion, but it's not a paying passion. So I can't jeopardize my actual paying job for this passion at the moment in time. But in time, what I've realized is you can be multifaceted. It just comes down to your planning and understanding your time and being organized. You don't have to only have one face. You're a, you're a human being with multiple interests. And for me, skincare had always been something that was really important to me. I had a skincare routine when I was 13. A lot of people, they, they'll say things like, I've never seen your skin bad. And I was like, well, when everyone else's skin was getting bad, I was already protecting mine. So it's, it's protected me a lot. Loving skincare and having a love for beauty it's always been a part of my life. I've always had a love for makeup, for skin, for hair, things like that. And yes, it gets a bit hard maybe to balance on a social aspect because for some reason, there's a perception that if you're a lawyer, you can't care too much about things that people see as superficial. You're supposed to be a brain person and not an aesthetic person, which is not true because humans are multifaceted. The only way how I've been able to balance the two is that I just manage my time as well as possible and make sure I don't mess with my real deadlines for hobby deadlines. You've touched on this briefly, and I do agree with you that sometimes as lawyers who are female, it does feel like there's this unwritten rule or some sort of expectation that we have to be meek and understated simply because we are in a male-dominated profession. I obviously don't agree with that. And it does feel sometimes that we're not expected to have interests outside our profession or to freely express ourselves creatively, which brings me to my next question. How does it feel when you get labeled? And what do you have to say about this misconception that we as female lawyers cannot be multifaceted? I personally feel like if you're going to play to the gallery, you'll never play to your full strength. I've been called a slave queen I actually think there was a year when I got an office award as the office slave queen. I, I remember that happened before, <laughs> but I can diminish who I am to make you feel comfortable. So it's a personal decision. You're either going to do what you want or do what everyone else wants you to be, but you won't be fully happy. I personally think the way I look gives me confidence. And when I enter into a room, just because I take care of myself does not make me meek. I'm very strong in every room I'm in and I talk with conviction. And my brain will speak for itself with or without me wearing lipstick. Do you find that having a huge following on social media interferes with your privacy? And how do you deal with that? And how engaged do you have to be with your audience? What I did when the, my platform started to become a bit too big 
I just created a private a private Instagram where I can put the most sillier things or more personal things. But I'm pretty much an open book, and in the world we're in now, your life is open to everyone. They will know everything, anyways. I don't think it affects my personal privacy because I wouldn't put anything online. I wasn't comfortable with it being blasted anywhere because you never really know what people will do with information you put online. So I don't think it affects my privacy at all. Maybe like the DMs sometimes can be a bit hectic. After a video, I might get very many um, um, direct messages and not be able to fill all of them. And if someone is disrespectful on my platform, I just block them. You will get people who will say things or ask for money or ask you to do things for them because they follow you or things like that. But generally, I would usually just tell them what I find appropriate, what I don't find appropriate, just like I would in everyday life. And if you're not okay with it, then I'll just block you. In terms of monetization and sponsorships, what criteria do you use? And in what circumstances would you agree to or decline a paid partnership? Paid partnerships, it's a tricky one. I've been burnt in partnerships. My influencing is in the beauty field. So skin products are expensive. Makeup is expensive. So if I take my time and make a video and I say a brand in it, if, for example, 8,000 people watch my video and even 10% of those people are to purchase from you, we're talking skincare, around 100 to 120,000. If even 10% of those people purchase from you, you're making quite a huge amount of money off my content. But in Uganda, to get people to understand that value, it's really hard. Everyone thinks all you're going to do is stand in front of a camera, but it takes a lot of time to research. You have to get the video done, edited. It takes a lot of your time. It's not as easy as it would be in the first world where people respect your analytics and pay you for them. At this moment in time, I've taken a break from partnerships because I don't want to ever feel pressured to do what I, what I like. And what I love, it'll make me stop loving it. So I started this because I'd, I'd been sharing skincare advice with my friends for years. And every time I'd meet people, they'd ask me, oh my God, what do you do? What, what do you use on your skin? And I used to tell them, that's not really how it works. I can tell you what I use, but you need to understand your skin and then work, work with your skin and see what your skin likes. And then from there, I started during the quarantine, I started doing lives and interacting with people and that's how my following grew. It's really hard for influencers, I think, in Uganda because they put in a lot of work for very little pay. It's very hard for you to call to call it a full-time profession, no matter how much you'd want to. But, you know, the industry is growing and influencer marketing is big all over the world and eventually we'll catch up. And then there's more seasoned influencers than me that I can lean on to understand how to price, how to develop a rate card, how to understand how long someone can use your likeness or use your videos, um, because that's also money that's going to keep recycling to them. It's still a learning process for me, but I'd say when you start, you you need help from in the industry. So Miranda, just to pivot to skincare, you mentioned that you found this passion at 13. What got you into skincare? Uh, at the time, it was the fear of acne. You know, around that age, everyone's skin starts 
<laughs> doing the most. And I, I was already light skin, and I just didn't want to have like the dark marks and things like that. So at the time, I started with a there was like a three step line where you'd buy them all together, and it had the wash, the toner, and then the the face lotion with sunscreen in it. And I started that from a very young age. And I think also the school I was in, a lot of the girls were very much into their skincare. They even had face massages and things like that. So even the company I was in, people cared about their skin a lot. So it made me get into it um, at a younger age. I was trying to be preventative and make sure I didn't get acne because I'd seen how acne had like plagued people in my family before. So I was trying to make sure I didn't go down that route. What would you say are the biggest misconceptions about black skin? So for black people, I'd say the biggest misconception we have is that we don't need to take care of our skin against the sun. It's the biggest misconception because black skin is it's beautiful and we don't burn in a, in a way that we feel physical pain like white people. So because you don't have pain as a deterrent, it doesn't mean you're not damaging your skin. The main skin problem most black people have is actually hyperpigmentation, which is extra melanin on your, on your skin. So it's the dark marks that usually show up on the high points of your face where the sun hits it the most. The biggest problem we have as black people is that because we don't burn, we don't protect ourselves from the sun. And yet majority of skin issues like the rashes you get, the wrinkles you get, the dark marks you get are all factors that 90% of the time come from sun damage. And unfortunately, a lot of sun damage shows after 10 years. So you, you can be in your 20s and have perfect skin and say, well, I don't do any of that stuff. I just put baby oil in my face and I'm fine. Yes, but how will you look in 10 years? You're going to look like leather. You'll be 30 with wrinkles already. And not knowing how to reverse the implications of bad skincare because you're already there. If you look at people in our, in our parents' age groups, it's hard to find someone in the older generation with skin that is one skin tone because their sun damage is now irreversible. So for Black people, I'd say the biggest misconception we have is that we don't need to take care of our skin against the sun. Thank you, Miranda, for taking the time to do this podcast. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure everyone who listens will find it quite illuminating. I wish you the best in your career and I look forward to seeing even more great content on your Instagram. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Viewpoints with Brenda. To keep the conversation going, follow us on Instagram at Viewpoints by BN and follow me on Twitter at Kasabiti. That's K-A-S-A-B-I-I-T-I. To hear more conversations like this, follow the podcast, subscribe, like, and feel free to leave us a rating. See you next time.